Good day, dear listeners. Steve Preda here with the Management Blueprint Podcast. And today's guest here with me is Dave Romero, the uh, president of Unbox Training and Technology, a company that helps you embed continuous learning in your workplace, allowing learners to nimbly react to business challenges, uncover opportunities, and rise to new heights of success. Welcome to the show, Dave. Steve, thank you. Thanks for uh, having me here. So uh, yes, I'm excited uh, to 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 have you and and to discuss uh, some of the topics here that you have on the agenda. Um, first and first most, uh, what led you to launching Unbox Training and Technology, and what challenges you and your partner encountered along the way? Yeah, that's a good question. Good place to start. So you know they say the the uh, the mother of invention is necessity. So my business partner and I. We're working with a Fortune 500 company that went out of business, and we decided rather than just sit around and complain about it, uh, we wanted to go do something about it. And so we got together and pulled together a, a few folks that we worked with uh, before, and we, we started Unboxed. And uh, that, that started our mission to educate and empower the modern learner. And our goal was to change the world and how people train. And so we set out with that, that mission initially and 2009, I guess. So it's 13 years now. And our goal has not changed this entire time. And we knew we wanted to do something with technology and we wanted to do something uh, related to creating better content and better learning experiences. And mm -hmm. that's what we do. So what was it that you kind of lacked or what you were frustrated about that prompted this desire to improve on, on learning? A lot of it came from being in the learner's shoes, you know, going through the boring e-learnings, clicking next to continue, having to click 300 times to find a course in a learning management system, going to a boring class and just hearing some instructor drone on and on about something, you know, those types of things that a lot of us have to go through and, and we realized there, there had to be better ways to do it. And at that point, the iPad hadn't been invented, but it was coming out soon. We didn't know that, of course. And as it did, we started seeing opportunities using technology and, and our platform uh, to be able to deliver that content more effectively and more engaging. And a lot of what we try to do is inspire people to, to want to learn something new or, or learn something more. And so as part of that, we use a lot of animation and video and interactive content so that you aren't just clicking next to continue and bored as you go through your training. Mm -hmm. Okay. That sounds interesting. So we'll, we'll talk more about that uh, on how you engage people and how they make it more interesting. But, but let's first tackle our management blueprint. This is the theme of the podcast. So what's the business framework that you have used in building Unbox that you feel like is a good one and you would share with their audience? Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, when we first started out, it was it was literally those scenarios where we would take on any new opportunities that came along and we tried our best to execute on those things. And sometimes we killed it and other times we, we ended up, you know, killing ourselves over it and our team. And so, you know, we, we pretty... I would say quickly, but it really didn't feel quickly learned probably about five to seven years in that we had to uh, do a few key things differently. One of them was a diversification strategy. You know, in the early days and many startups were a bootstrap startup, not a not a funded startup. And, you know, in the early days, a lot of our successes rested on the shoulders of a few very large clients. 
And we're very grateful for those clients and those opportunities because they gave us the chance to, to really build out the company and create a, uh, a company uh, that we were really proud of and that we were able to bring people into. What we learned over time, though, was that by having that, uh, that, that very large book of business within a few accounts, we started doing things that prevented us from being able to grow the company. And a lot of that came down to not understanding where to focus our time and energy, making decisions that are near-term versus long-term, and uh, chasing after uh, the next new shiny thing that we can say yes to and, and, and acquire some more money. Um, and, you know, to, to be honest, Steve, going through that period of time was, was easily one of the best and worst times of, you know, being at Unboxed and that, you know, we, we actually had um, many, many talented folks here and many folks that um, were, are still here, actually, but many of them have left the company. And a lot of that came to just simply feeling like you're in the grind all the time. And so the big lesson out of that was uh, to change a bit of how uh, we as leaders uh, present options and take on different deals and different types of projects. And we, we learned a little bit more about um, the Eisenhower matrix, and that's been something that guides me in a lot of what I do now. And for me, the Eisenhower matrix is this concept of what is urgent and what's not urgent, and then what's important and what's not important. And um, if you look it up on, on Google, and I can flash a little picture of it here on the screen if yeah, you'd like. Yeah, please, please um, do. I'll show you that for anyone who is watching. Uh, you'll notice on uh, this, this, and by the way, as you can tell by the name, I didn't make this up. Uh, this actually comes from Eisenhower, our president, former president, and the idea that on the left-hand quadrant here, you see at the top, important, at the bottom, not important. And then on the right-hand side of this four box, you see urgent on the left, and you see not urgent on the right. And mm -hmm. this is essentially the actions that you would take. So if it's an important thing that you need to go do, and it's urgent, you go do it right now. And That's if sense. it's important, but it's not urgent, you decide and you schedule a time to do it and you plan, right? And this is a really tough distinction because when you're a small business and pretty much in every business, because we work with some of the largest companies in the world, mm -hmm. everything seems important and urgent all the time. And so the reality is we all know we, we, that it isn't that. And so you especially start to see things like what's not important and somewhat urgent. You can maybe delegate it or ask someone to do it for you or ask for help. And then for things, of course, that are not urgent and not important, you would essentially delete it or just simply not do it. Mm -hmm. So this philosophy is a, a simple, really simple philosophy, but it's powerful in that you can start to use that language in your company. And, and you might see a Slack message come across saying, hey, I have a question for you, not urgent. Or I have a question for you, urgent. And that might trigger a different way of responding or uh, being available or accessible to your team. And, and that kind of insider language can help you to know um, where do I need to sort my time and my priorities based on uh, what's in front of me right now. In the early days, Steve, everything was important and everything was urgent. And that's the recipe for a, uh, a, marath a marathon that feels like a sprint. And, yeah. and you, you just can't get through that without... Uh, without a trail of people behind you, you know, laying on the ground. So yes. that's probably been one of the biggest things that's helped us in terms of prioritizing mm -hmm. and, and um, organizing our, our work. Mm -hmm. Yes, and most uh, most small business owners live in that space, uh, urgently important. In fact, many of them fall into the trap of being driven by adrenaline. So whenever they have these fires blazing that they're going to focus, get focused and really get things done, but they, 
they burn themselves out in the process. So when the fires have been taken out, then they essentially kick back and then they let go and they don't right. do anything. And then they're going to be in a fire soon. That's right. Um, and I, I, you know, always explain my clients that the goal is to be driven not by adrenaline, which is a, a, an addiction and, and something mm -hmm. that we want to get rid of. It's, it's our vision and our goals that need to drive us in a consistent manner. That's exactly right. So, so that's uh, that's very important concept. Now, what I'm a little bit struggling with is this idea of not important but urgent, and we want to delegate these things. I mean, if it's not important, why do we need to delegate? Why don't we just not do it? Yeah, that's a really hard thing because when you look at say four problems in front of you, and and I'll use the term problem to indicate it's a challenge, an opportunity, a problem, however you want to describe it. <laughs> And, and if you think about these four things in front of you, each one can't be equal. They, there has to be some force, some forced hierarchy in deciding. And, and mm -hmm. perhaps this is like, where do I eat? Where do I sleep? Where do I you know, drink? It's these types of things, right? Or it could be this project A, project B, project C. At some point, you're going to get to a place where you can't apply the same level of resource to everything. In other words, if you have the most urgent and important thing for your business, your biggest client, your most important activity or your most important project, you, you more than likely want to uh, stack the deck and have your, your best talent and your most capable people applied there. There's always going to be something that falls a little lower and, and is less important. And the term not important is probably mis misleading in that mm -hmm. I might use the term less important. Is And that is to say that um, it, it doesn't stack quite as high as the most important thing that's out there. And that might be something that um, you can hand over to somebody else who is qualified and capable to do it. Perhaps it takes them a little bit longer than it would to take your best person or even yourself to go do. But it, what it means is that you're applying the right focus of energy in the highest uh, return on investment. And this is such a simple idea. We all know this. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, no one on this on this podcast right now is saying, gosh, I've never thought of that, right? We've all thought of that. The problem is, I think we, we sometimes lack a framework or language for which to apply these types of decisions. And so when I can explain to one of my peers or, or coworkers, um, you know, this is an important thing, but it's not urgent for me right now. And if you do want some action on it, I can delegate it to somebody for you. Or if you can wait, I'll schedule it and get to you at a later mm -hmm. time that helps people understand what's going on and that there are other things inside the pipeline and that mm -hmm. you have to focus. Mm -hmm. So the and, reason I'm, I'm kind of asking this question is because what I have found is sometimes those less important things, because they keep being pushed back, yeah. eventually you realize that they are actually not important. And yeah, it's not, yeah. not just yeah, less away. important, they are not important. Yeah. And, and I see you know this old saying that most companies die of indigestion rather than starvation. So we we tend to err on the side of keeping things on the back burner uh, as opposed to killing things. And it's so liberating when you yeah. kill things. I always tell my clients that whatever you put on your issues list, which, is, which you're not going to get into the next 12 months, I just ask them, are you, okay, you're not doing now, but are you going to get there in the next 12 months? Is it going to yeah. be important in the next 12 months? Yeah. Oh, probably not. Let's put it off, uh, take it off the list yeah. because it's never going to happen and it's just clutter. Yeah, I think that that reminds me of a, a Brene Brown quote, which is, uh, will I care about this in the next 10 minutes, the next 10 hours and the next 10 days? Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And that answer, the answer to that question determines a lot of the energy and the effort that you should put into things. And, and just by way of kind of a, a story here for you, in the early days of Unboxed, when I was telling you that we did, uh, we said yes to virtually everything and everything was urgent and important. You know, we at that time had built out a learning portal. We had built out a uh, calculator tool to help with ROI. We had built out a, a, a CRM tool that helped to, you know, figure out different types of uh, customer relationship things. We built out a ebook. I mean, I could just keep going and going and going. The, the, the reality is we, we, we became an inch deep and a mile wide. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you're, you're everything and nothing to everyone that's out there. And so it, it's, it's a, a very um, seductive trap to get caught into because you want to say yes. You want to say urgent, important, urgent, important. But the outcome of doing that is very costly. You end up not being able to maintain the quality of those things over time. We, we got to a position where we were uh, failing our clients from time to time with uh, our ability to innovate and, and continue to keep those things uh, fresh and, and modern. We uh, were losing uh, the ability to stay abreast of the latest technology changes that were happening and the security changes and, and info security stuff happening because we were so wide on all yeah. these things. And it just kept going. And so I, I think the cost of not uh, using something like less important is is greater over time and and so i always refer to that as the pain of same versus the pain of change right if i if i'm in this moment uh the pain of same is is painful don't get me wrong but sometimes the pain of change in trying to undo all of those things that you did a long time ago can be quite hard and that was us about five or six years ago we literally said no and so we took five different products that we used to sell off of our list and we stopped doing them mm-hmm. It had a revenue impact. It had a, a people impact. It was one of the hardest decisions we ever made. Um, having done that, though, we've been able to streamline our efforts into our core offerings now, which is a technology platform and content. And now that we've done that, we've not only surpassed previous numbers, but we've created much, much more innovative and more capable solutions for our clients. Yeah, yeah. This is a huge. Uh, this is a huge lesson. And you mentioned that you were highly concentrated with a handful of clients and it is extremely dangerous because those clients start to own you, can't afford to say no to them. So you get wider and wider and shallower and shallower, as you say. And then that prevents you from gaining other clients, which would require a focus solution. I have worked with a, with a, a SaaS company. Well, they, they want to become a SaaS company, but they really thought they were, but they were not really because they were serving these big fortune companies with, with a solution, uh, but essentially they were customizing it for every single company mm. and they kept pushing off uh, the, the SaaS product, which was basically the one size fits all product that would have allowed them to scale. Yeah. And they were hiring more people and the business was getting more complex and more complex. And the investors are giving money for this future solution, but it was not coming. And, and it was so difficult that they, they got trapped in this. They were yeah. depending on the cash flow from all these big companies. So that's that's extremely uh, difficult to, to yes. do and to go from having a handful and actually say no and shrink down. And then you grow uh, in a focused manner. I would say eight out of 10 companies never able to do that. So 
kudos for you guys to be able to uh, buy the book. And, it has and, been it has been through lessons learned from friends and other people who have gone through this before me. There, there's nothing new here, you know, and that's the thing that I, I'm so humbled by being among different entrepreneurs and people who have been here before the company you're referring to. That was us. Uh, absolutely was us at one point and you know your roadmap gets determined by your clients and and to some extent that's good but on on the flip side there's a trade-off to that too and and i see that um you know the people who have done this before us and have come along and, and paved the way that's that's part of why i love sharing the stories and talking about this with people because i just think that there's really nothing new in all of this we're all learning on our own in our own way and in our own pace so i appreciate that it's nothing new, but doing it is still difficult, right? It is so much. Because so other difficult. people have been there, uh, doesn't mean it makes yes. it easier. It, it, it can well, feel awfully lonely, you know. It can it can feel like you know, am I the only one feeling this, or is this the is this is this only me? And and the reality is, no, it's not. I I, I believe that it's it's everybody goes through these challenges, and they can make you quite a bit more resilient to the next challenge that comes up, and and that's the key, you know. I think I read at some point. Um, I think it was in. Um, in Simon Sinek's book, the the Infinite Game, that you know the world the world we're in, in in the business that we do, it isn't in the spirit of becoming the best at business or the best at training or the best at whatever. If we have that mentality, that can drive us for a while. That 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 adrenaline that you mentioned. The goal is to simply just stay in the game, and mm -hmm. and attrition takes care of itself over time. And if you keep listening to customers and you keep adapting and you keep changing and you keep making those improvements. Um, you will over time overcome more and more and more challenges to the extent that it becomes easier to overcome the next challenge. And and we um, we actually kind of talk about that a lot from a continuous learning standpoint. You know, it's the same as learning something new. If I if I said to you, and this is a statistic, you know, in the next three years, over 50% of the skills at corporate levels, white collar corporate levels are going to need to be relearned, mostly due to the acceleration of technology that we've seen with, with COVID and the pandemic. And also just simply um, seeing that the um, the AI and machine learning types of um, automation hit a new level. You know, where there used to be a person standing there, there's a machine, and you see it all the time. So we refer to that change, that constant evolution, and, and the pace of business change. Uh, we, we we refer to that as skill agility, which is this idea that you need to have not only personal agility to develop skills at the business at the pace of business change, but a company needs to have skill agility so that it can adapt and change as frequently as the business requires it to change versus having a slow process, you know, the big boat that moves slowly, all of those things that that creates um, quite a bit more of a challenge in today's environment with digitization. You might have been able to get away with that 20 or 30 years ago, but, you know, as a, as a good statistic, and I love this one, it took over 50 years for 50 million people to fly on an airplane, which is just amazing to me, you know, to think that it took that long. And it took nine days for 50 million people to use Pokemon Go. And so digital tools, apps, and the tools that we use every single day in our mobile phones and everything else are accelerating the pace of business change so much so that in 10 years time, we won't even recognize where we are today. So that agility to change uh, your skills at the pace of the business requirements is going to be the next superpower. Okay, well, that's a lot uh, to wrap uh, our minds um, around. And I mean, I, I love this uh, connection between the infinite game and the entrepreneurial 
trial and error, you know, stay in the game, trial and error. In fact, one of the results of this trial and error is to figure out coping mechanisms or solutions to impenetrable looking problems. And then that becomes a competitive advantage. Yes. And in my new book, I, I, I'm, I'm writing about this idea of creating your own strategy stack, which is basically made up of solutions that you came up with because you were under pressure to survive a situation or to yeah. solve a, an intractable problem. And then if you build these together, uh, these group of solutions will give, give you such a sustainable competitive advantage. It's going to be super hard to copy all of these things. Yes. This is inside you know, the secret sauce that you have uh, that will make you make you very competitive and profitable, although you have to keep adding to it over time. Yeah, that, that so, sounds like the holy grail right there. I love that. It is the holy grail. <laughs> and when we look at IKEA, IKEA has been at the top of the furniture business for the last 50 mm -hmm. years. And their biggest competitor is Yeast, which is ten, one tenth of the size of IKEA. Wow. So they try to copy it, but they, there's only so much they see, and that only gives them um, uh, that much leverage. So it is possible. Um, Southwest Airlines managed to stay in the top of the budget airline game for about 30 years. Now they, they start to erode their, their competitiveness there. but. So, so one thing that really struck a chord with me, so you talked about automation and how it is changing how we live and you know, the 50 years and the nine days of Pokemon Go and this accelerating pace of things and, yeah. and how these digital employees are going to take over the routine tasks so that mm -hmm. people are freed up to actually do more engaging and more thinking stuff. So how does that all play into your process of uh, of training and learning people with technology i mean you're in smack right in the middle of this yeah. this acceleration aren't you we are yeah and, and and a lot of this for better or for worse has has been accelerated tremendously through the pandemic i mean i will tell you the number of people who even knew how to do a screen share using zoom two years ago is vastly different than today and now it is sort of um, expected and normal to do these types of interactions and make them uh, comfortable and seamless. And that's just a really simple example, but yet profound because uh, we couldn't even have imagined doing these things three years ago. We would have been on a plane flying to go meet together. You and I would be in a room together. It would be, you know, that type of thing. And, and now it's just, it seems a bit inconvenient to even do it any other way in some, in some cases. But it is really all about making sure that we establish a balance among all these different things. If, if we allow everything to go too far in one direction, um, we, we start to lose the goodness of the original things that we were doing. There's always something good. And I, I think I live in a perpetual state of, of awareness of trade-offs in that there's nothing that is the silver bullet. There's no perfect solution. And I, I think about, you know, what are the trade-offs of digital learning and what are some of the benefits of that? And what are some of the things that aren't so good? And what are the benefits of in-person? What are good and what are not? And what we look for at Unboxed is how we can blend those together in their best ways. And so when you mentioned you know, automation and whatnot a, mo a, moment, a moment ago, it, it makes me think about how we have to create the opportunity for just-in-time training and moments in time where I can uh, train inside the day versus make it big events. And so there's a term that's out there in our space that's referred to as, you know, in the flow of work. 
And that, that, that concept is that I can learn things on demand or in the flow while I'm doing something. And it's really no different than the help button in a lot of the software you see or you know, somebody next to you pointing over your shoulder saying, hey, just click right here or do this thing while you're in the flow, right? But now that we're working in so much of an asynchronous way and we're in you know, different time zones even and things like that, um, we need different tools and different technology and different content to help us learn things when we need to learn things or at the point of need is how I refer to it. Mm -hmm. And so while there's different technology that's helping with that, a lot of it still comes down to a human anticipating what is somebody going to need at that moment and finding the right amount of content and the right places to point people to go and learn those things. And inside that is, is an agility all in itself. This idea that um, the generations that are entering and predominantly in the workforce now either grew up with on some level or their entire life have only known the internet. And, and I'll speak for myself in saying that I really didn't start using the internet until college. You know, that was kind of the point in time for me. But uh, so much of the, the workforce today grew up with it. And so what do you do when you need something? You go to Google and you solve for it. And companies have to start thinking about how they act more like Google versus a top-down view of like, you're an employee, you need to know these things because I said so. So any company that can embrace this concept of at the point of need, providing access and information and creating accessibility to uh, anything that's required is going to be the company that can adapt and have more agility. And, and that at its core is where we fit in, this idea that we can create not just micro learning, but nano learning, small bite-sized particles of content mm -hmm. or training to help with a point in need versus the 60 page PowerPoint on page 38, I find what I'm looking for. And, and that's the big shift that I think is going to start happening in our industry. Mm. That's super interesting because I think what happens with the 60-page PowerPoint, you're probably only going to learn nano things. You want to through small things. Yeah. And you might even not learn that because you get overwhelmed by all the other information that might even squeeze that piece of information out of your mind. Exactly. So that, that feels very uh, intuitive, that this nano learning idea. And the other thing that you mentioned, which is very, very true, is is uh, at the point of need and this whole Google idea, this this big shift that happened in marketing, for example, that you can no longer quote quote people and kind of pound the pavement makes no sense whatsoever. You have to adjust to the customer's buying cycle. You have to fit in with how they are looking for information, how they need the help. It's not about us forcing uh, forcing it to them it's them pulling it from us and oh, yeah. how do you kind of get into this flow that you you're part of that flow and you can be in the right place at the right time that's yep. a, a super uh, feels like a super complex uh, it thing is. and that speaks a lot to not only from our aspirations of how we want to grow the business but also really how any business should be thinking and that is you know we have to go back and think we're we're in a in a world now where there's information parity you know, between the buyer and the and the um, seller. And if you go back pre-internet even, there was this information asymmetry where the buyer didn't have as much information as the seller. The seller knew more about their product, they knew more about the industry, they knew more about everything going on, and you would rely on them as the, the trusted advisor, if you will, mm -hmm. to give you all this great information. And if you happen to like that person and you kind of liked what they talked about, you might be more inclined to buy from them. But more than likely, when you show up into a company today, 
as a seller, that person you're talking to knows more than you, as much as you, and is probably really confused by the conflicting information that's out there. And Gartner uses a model called the sense maker, which is this idea that um, I help as as a as a seller, I try to make sense of all the information for you. Mm -hmm. um, Challenger has their own model, and everybody has their own thing out there. But the real key is to say that I understand that we are at an information parity level, and that you as a buyer are more than likely in this kind of information overload state. So I'm not going to show up and necessarily teach you anything. I might, however, make sense of it for you and give you perspective and use information that can help you to make a decision. And I think that, you know, with that in mind, it just changes so much of how we engage with people. And when you when you get to the point of a decision being made inside your company, whether you're inside the company selling something inside the company, like I want to take it to my head of you know, training or my VP in sales or whatever, and I want to tell them this is what we should do. We have to assume that that person has a tremendous amount of information already, whether it's right or wrong, they have it. And our job is to help make sense of it for them and to position it in such a way that 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 takes into account that they already have a lot of information. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a very unique place for a lot of people. You know, they feel like they're fighting uphill battles and they feel like they're they're not able to get consensus. And, and one of the most common decisions in a company, especially large organizations, is indecision. You can't get the committee of people to decide on something, so therefore we punt it down the road and we don't make a decision, only for that issue to become worse and worse over time. And then finally you make a rash decision, which may or may not be good. And it is why so many software projects fail and why so many training projects struggle. It, it, you, know, you really get to this place where um, you, you've punted it too far and now you can't be excellent with that work. So the, the, the sense maker concept really, really um, it, it resonates with me because it says, hey, we're, we're in a position now where we have so much information. I think right now knowledge doubles every 12 hours, I think is the, the new statistic. It, it, it is at this, this level of between the Internet of Things and Siri and everything else going on. It is at this level where it's overwhelming. And we have to try to make sense of all the information and pre present it in a way that actually uh, meets the needs of that buyer. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually very inspiring because it means that you know if you have the curiosity, uh, then you can you can basically serve those clients that you're really interested in because you will resonate with them and they will uh, exactly. feel like you you have a custom solution for them and it it kind of helps I think both seller and buyer because buyer is going to get more eyeballs from the people that really can help them. And the sellers will be able to work those with those buyers that they can help. So it's going to be a more satisfying process, less exactly. frustrating process. Yep. It's a very interesting uh, thing. Yeah. yeah. So before we're getting close to our time, but before we wrap this up, you know, you, you talked about this nano learning and how these little pockets of learning uh, at the point of need, how it's going to feed into this process where customers are soaking up the information. How does it change your hiring process? So when you are looking for the right people for Onbox, is there a certain type of person that you are looking for that is able to do that, is able to think that way and 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 to, to yeah. further the strength? That's a great question. And Steve, we're in that right now. So I, I want to be very uh, transparent in that. I don't have the solution figured out. If I did, I think I'd write a book just like you, actually. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I haven't I haven't done that. What I'm learning, though, is that finding people who um, who have an insatiable curiosity and somebody who understands that learning isn't about um, perfection, it's about progress. 
and that it's okay to come forward with the sloppy copy of something and say, with the time that I had and the information I could gather, this is the work that I've been able to do. Help me now, shape this, turn it into something bigger and better. That personality is, um, it's a special and really important personality for a learner to have. And in particular, it's, it's in contrast to the person who goes to school and there's this concept of like, um, of learn to work, which is like, I go to school to become, um, you know, a, we'll say an accountant, right? And I get my accounting degree and I enter the workforce and the expectation is I should know how to do accounting. And mm -hmm. if I ask questions and raise my hand and say, I don't know, it appears that I'm dumb or I'm not smart or I didn't do very well in school. And, and that, would, that would out me as, as an imposter. Well, that, that mentality has to go away. Mm -hmm. And what we need to embrace is, a, um, is more of a work to learn model, which is this idea that instead of going to school to learn everything I need so that I can work, it is that I come to work and at work I learn what I need when I need to learn it. And so there's an open atmosphere where you can embrace the unknown and be given coaching and direction without punitive outcomes. Mm -hmm. And I'm allowed to uh, share as far as I've gotten and receive feedback in a positive way and then go iterate and improve upon it. And so we've forever said things like even with our clients, when we get into um, strategy based work and consulting, you know, to set plans, we talk about design thinking sessions and we do quite a bit of surveys and design thinking and um, you know, just creative exercises to get all of the stuff out there. And, and it's really no different for a new hire, for somebody joining the company. So looking for that person who says, I'm open to and will embrace the uncertainty that comes with learning and the discomfort that comes with learning is the, is the character trait that we're looking for. And I, and I think that is overall, it's a special and, and hard to find kind of person. Not everybody's going to be that way. So from a diversity standpoint, you know, you've got to have all types. And I think it's important to also have planners and thinkers and all of the different folks that are in the mix. But as it relates to um, true learning folks, people who have a thirst and an a, uh, insatiable curiosity, that's who we're looking for. Yeah, that's curiosity is huge. And also the ability to maintain that because young people tend to be more curious than, than older people. Yeah. And when you have the curiosity and you can maintain it, then that's uh, that's that's a superpower. I, yeah, I, and and I, and I can't under underscore and and highlight the importance of of having all types of people. As an example, there's so many different profiling tools out there. You know, there's DISC, there's uh, Strengths Finders, there's all of those things. Yeah. And and I tend to be a very similar every time I've taken this, Steve. I'm I'm on the Strengths Finder. I'm Activator. I'm Competition. I'm the kind of guy. And competition isn't so much against others, but against myself. What mm -hmm. I did yesterday isn't as good as whatever I'm doing, and I got to keep up. So I need people around me who can calibrate me and say, Hey, Dave, sit down. You know, it's okay. You don't have to go activate right now. And those, those, those different and very diverse skill sets are critically important. And, and I, we refer to it a lot as a recipe for success. If you think about recipes, and I asked you, what makes your chocolate chip cookies so good? You wouldn't say, I use more sugar or more flour or more eggs. Anytime you, you disrupt the recipe, you get negative outcomes. So the importance is that you have the right ratios of each thing inside of it. And maybe you have a secret ingredient, right? You have sprinkles or something like that. And that's okay, that's really important. But it isn't to say if you just made a cookie with flour and no sugar that it would be a delicious cookie. And that's how we see it here. It, it's, it's really a recipe of all types, but in particular having a, an interest in learning and you're okay and resilient through the discomfort of learning 
that trait is a very important thing. Okay, well, that's that's a great uh, final thought. So definitely, I'm going to think about the diversity and the learning and how they come together and how they uh, kind of being the yeast for each other. I think it's a very uh, it's a very interesting concept. So if people would like to learn more about Unboxed and uh, you have a consulting arm, you have the product training and technology product uh, product and big companies, uh, I think would benefit from this nano learning that you you explained. Yeah. Where should they go? How can they find out about that more and, you know, and connect with you? I Steve, I, I'm not a I'm not a big. Uh, I, I sometimes think that. I'm not a big enough promoter of, of things. And I'll, I'll just say this. I enjoy these types of discussions so much. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Just go to LinkedIn, connect with me, please. I enjoy conversations, even if it doesn't lead to us working together in some capacity, maybe I can connect you to somebody or make a reference to you. But this is what I do. This is my passion and my, my world. I, I thought at one point with a biology degree, I'd go into teaching. It turns out I'm teaching in different ways. And I love, I love that. So please do connect with me on LinkedIn. I, I love getting in those spirited conversations and would be happy to help anyone. Well, Dave, you're definitely teaching at scale through your, your company. So definitely uh, uh, find uh, Dave Romero and, on LinkedIn and also check out Unboxed Training and Technology. It comes up, just put in Unbox and it will pop up on your screen. And if you, uh, if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to review and uh, subscribe on, on YouTube as well. And stay tuned because next week I'm going to bring another exciting entrepreneur to the show. Thanks, Dave, for, for coming and sharing your, your thoughts.